the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Who is the captain of your ship? Is it you or is it God? Really, how sovereign is God at the end of the day? Question we'll answer next on Truth For Today. I've actually heard this from the pulpit in times past. God is my co-pilot. In fact, if memory serves, it was even a bumper sticker. Fact is, as we tend to study God's Word, we realize not only is God not our co-pilot, we're in the bed of the pickup truck in the back. Hi there, and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Today we move into Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 29. It's a rather critical look at the potter and what he can do with you and I, the clay. With more, here's Pastor Phil Howard. Chapter 9 probably is the most difficult chapter in the Bible. Uh, Not because it's hard reading. It's hard to figure out if you will believe it or not, whether you like what's said. And uh, I would just give a little testimony that uh, I grew up uh, in church on topical sermons. Uh, You never knew from week to week what you were going to hear. And every preacher had his favorite subject, tithing being his main one. Uh, Maybe water baptism, maybe holiness. It didn't matter. And as I uh, began to uh, grow up just on the radio hearing McGee, uh, hearing Swindoll, following Jay Vernon because of Dallas, and where that was the school I wanted to go to, uh, but in my, I think my senior year of college, I had a short Marine guy named Paul Ryder, butch haircut, looked like straight out of a uh, Marine's barrack, built like a little spark plug. He taught us uh, expository preaching. And let me just give you this way of interview. He said, uh, if you don't get a method of preaching in the pastorate, you won't last. Because you can't come up with enough great themes to, to preach every week. And his quarter assignment that we had to turn in, I always tell uh, seminary students this. He said, your quarter's assignment is to do this. I want you to assume you were just voted into a church. And in those days, uh, you had morning uh, service, evening, and Wednesday night prayer meeting, typically. So he said, all I want you to do is to assume you were just voted in that church, and I want you to come up with 56 morning sermon titles, texts, and themes. And then I want you to come up with 52 evening texts, title, and theme. And then I want you to come up with 52 Wednesday night, title, text, and theme. That's 156 times you'll be up and multiply that by how long you plan to be at that church. And and I only had 20 sermons to my name at that time. I said, what do you mean? He said, if you don't get a Bible method of preaching, 
They're going to predict every Sunday what you're going to say because you're highly predictable by nature, all of you. So he said, but if you'll make a commitment to preach the scriptures, not dodging any of the hard subjects, not getting to pick and choose, just let God speak for himself, you'll begin the romance of preaching, of saying every week I'm discovering what God said. I don't invent the sermon. I discover what God said. And so that's where we are. It's the romance I've had in this church. Divorce, remarriage, uh, election, predestination, heaven, hell, uh, whatever it is. Whatever God says, all I want to do is hide far enough behind it. It says, let the text speak. I can't always explain God too well. But at least I want to say what God says. Is that fair? Okay. Let's pick up in Romans 9. And let, by way of introduction, 9, 10, and 11, many think that Paul just, this is kind of a, uh, he's thrown this in. And because it deals with Israel. But it is vital to the book. He's addressing a church at Rome that is made up of Jewish believers and of Gentiles. And one of the great uh, things going on, Paul was seen as an enemy of Israel. The Judaizers hated him. Because he preached circumcision wasn't the way you knew God. Uh, you didn't have to be Jewish to be saved. Uh, and so the questions come up. Well, does the gospel get rid of Israel? Uh, does the gospel say that uh, there's no hope for Israel? Because the common theology that Paul met in his day never evangelized a Jew because he's already the people of God. So they don't need your gospel because they've already got it. Because they're Jewish. They're tied to Abraham. So they would discourage, Paul, what are you preaching in our synagogues for? Leave us alone. Get out of town. If anybody needs God, it's the Gentiles. And so he comes here and he says, let me tell you some things about my people Israel. And he deals in chapter 9 of God's sovereign election of a people among Israel. And he's going to deal with that. And he's going to include Gentiles at the end of the chapter. Then he goes into chapter, at the end of chapter 9 and in chapter 10, he begins to explain why Israel is being rejected today. And why the majority of them are lost. And he's explaining their unbelief has... uh, just put them in a category of being cut off and rejected until they accept God's Messiah. Chapter 11, he begins to speak of a day when God will restore Israel, that he's not done with her. He may have grafted in us Gentiles, and we may be a part of God's present program, but there's coming a future when he will deal with them as a nation again. He will save them. So he's not through with national Israel But he's got a future plan to restore them. But I'm going today, I've wrestled with how much to try to explain. I'm going to try to get to verse 13. And if I don't get any further than verse 5, blame it on God. And I can't handle all the baggage. But uh, I give you an outline in the bulletin uh, of where we will go in the chapter. Great grief over a great people. Paul, sorrow. Over Israel, that he is not delighting that they are rejecting the gospel. It's grieving him greatly. And then we'll look at God's people are his on purpose. And he's going to explain 
who truly, uh, who happens to really be the people of God? Is it just those that are genetically and racially related to Abraham? Or does it take more than that? And then thirdly, we won't get to it today. God's right to choose is defended. It's quite interesting that uh, as he unfolds this theology, he expects outrage and the human argument, how can God be just to do things the way he's chosen to do them? He expects that argument, and we'll look at God's divine reply, but we'll do that for next Sunday. Let's pick up in verse chapter 9, verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship. And the word temple, it really is not theirs. It's really the worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Is it ever right to praise Jesus Christ as God? It is in 9.5. You can praise him as God. He is Lord and worthy of praise. What is he saying here? Paul wants to explain how that uh, Israel is a favored people, has been given all kinds of privileges. And he explains that he is going through personal agony as he's watching his own people turn away from the gospel, refusing to give up Moses, as it were, give up all the external aspects and not accept this chief cornerstone that they're stumbling over by the thousands, rejecting Christ, rejecting Christ. And Instead of him being an enemy or some passive, uh, zealous evangelist, that too bad, I don't care. He said, no, 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 I want you to know this. I am paying a great personal, emotional, internal price, preaching and seeing Gentiles come to God over and over and watching my own people rejected, rejected. Rejected, And he says, something internally in me has put me in such anguish that I call the Holy Spirit himself as my witness that I am not being melodramatic. I'm not uh, making this up. The Spirit himself I call to be my witness that in my conscience, inside of me, what sorrow I have as I watch Israel and the Jewish people turn from Christ. Uh, He uses words like uh, grief, and it means sorrow as a state of mind. And he said, it's unceasing. It's continually going on in me, and I have anguish. My heart is in a perpetual state of ache over this. I'm aching over these people. And... uh, Uh, He says something that is astounding to me that only two men in history do I know that had such a love for the people they were trying to help 
that he could say, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own brothers. The only other person was Moses. And when Moses came down from the mount and the people were all worshiping the golden calf, and God said, I'm sick of these people. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to make a new nation of you. And Moses says, don't, Lord, please. If you do, blot my name out of the book. Blot my name out. Then he says, what will the other nations say? That you weren't able to deliver the people you brought out of Egypt. But if not, blot my name out. And of course, God in mercy did not blot out Moses' name. But he continued to patiently deal with the people. He only killed 3,000 that day. He could have eliminated the whole nation. And then we come to Paul. Did he cut him off? The word anathema is to be put under the ban, to be cut off and cut away. And as I thought of those two men, they were willing to be cut off, but were not. Then I thought of him who was cut off for the sins of Israel, and that was Messiah himself. And Isaiah said he would be cut off. He would be hewn down. He would be wounded for their transgressions and bruised for their iniquities. And the chastisement that brought them peace was laid upon his back. Christ himself came under the curse of God in order to deliver these people. So God, Moses, Paul, and anyone with a true heart for God cannot be passive and uncaring that people reject Christ whether they be Jew or Gentile. Then he says, let me tell you the people that I'm grieving over, the high privileges they have. And he begins to name them. They have the adoption. And what that is, God had said in Hosea, I call you as my nation, my son that I called out of Egypt. You've entered into a very intimate relationship with me like no other nation ever has. You are in the place of unique sonship privileges as a nation. He goes on. With you, you've had the glory. That is, God has hung out with you, Israel. He said it in Deuteronomy. I've never hung out with any other people in history but you, Israel. The Shekinah cloud by day, the fire by night, uh, to fill the temple with your glory. You're the people that have experienced the divine presence of God. Oh, what, what a marvelous thing. It goes on, yours are the covenants. And go back to Genesis 12, where he promises Abraham he'll make a great nation of him, give him this land, and he'll bless the nations through his seed. But on and on, the Davidic covenant, Palestinian covenant, new covenant. God made his covenants with Israel. Their blessings were to overflow to the Gentile world. But he made them with Israel. You have that as a heritage. You are the people that I gave the law to. Uh, I gave you a divine legislation. It was a marvelous thing in the Near East. In the Near East, before Israel had the law, everything was blood revenge. For any offense, the only way you settled it was by killing When he gave the law and said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that was a merciful legislation. You don't have to kill everybody. 
that breaks the law. Let them pay compensation. Uh, let the punishment be equal to the crime. And got away from blood. Marvelous, marvelous legislation. 613 ordinances and commands to govern this nation. God, God wrote your constitution as it were. You are the people he gave worship to. The only revealed worship in the Bible that's authorized from God is what he gave Israel. Gave them the sacrificial system. How a sinful people could approach a holy God. Uh, made promises to them through the patriarchs and through the pro- prophets. Uh, yours are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. You've got all of this. You're the people that are rejecting Christ. He goes on, and above all, through you, the Christ came. His humanity was traced through a Jewish family tree. And you read in Luke and you read in Matthew of the two family trees, uh, Joseph's family tree in Matthew, Mary's in Luke. What's he doing? The humanity of our Savior came through the Jewish line. The Christ, the God who came and showed up. It came through the nation of Israel. Yours are great, great privileges. And yet, what's amazing is that just because you're privileged doesn't mean you know God. And just because you have all of this that a Jew can claim that the Gentiles couldn't, you still are stumbling over Christ. You are rejecting the gospel. And in spite of having all these privileges, you're perishing as a people because you didn't recognize, according to Luke, the divine visitor who came into your midst. I think it's uh, an interesting thing uh, before we get into his heavy argument here uh, is to ask ourselves this and ask yourself, do you ever have any anguish over anybody that's perishing? Let's, anyone dying without Christ, does it ever grip you? I don't care where you think you are in theology. Does the lostness of people ever cause you any anguish? Or are we to get immunity from it? Do you ever anguish over uh, family members that don't know God? Here, Paul, I'm, I'm disturbed about the racial connection I have to Israel. And I'm disturbed, uh, my conscience knows that I'm having uh, deep, deep uh, hurt and pain. And my witness is the Holy Spirit. I believe many times in the church, heaven has lost its breezes and hell has lost its fire because we don't hardly believe either one very much. We just want comfort, a comfort zone. I got mine. The rest of you have to figure it out. But when the love of God is pulsating through another human being, you can do with, I believe it was John Knox, give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I perish. Uh, I mean, this kind of anguish for the soul of another person, do you shed any tears for your lost family members? Do you have any anguish over your enemies that are perishing? 
any anguish over those who are great sinners. Great, do great sinners bother you? Great sinners. If you saw on the paper this young man, Ruiz, that killed the two boys and said in the court, hey, uh, if God hadn't wanted your boys killed, he would have kept me from killing them and mocked the parents in the courtroom. Yesterday's paper, cold, hard. A young girl that was uh, very sick uh, attending uh, Spurgeon's Church in London approached uh, the great preacher and she said, uh, Pastor, she said, you know I'm very sick and most likely you're going to be doing my funeral. And my unsafe father, I've never been able to get him to the tabernacle. I've never been able to get him here. But I will welcome my death for one reason, that he'll have to attend the funeral. And I'm telling you, Mr. Spurgeon, you must preach the gospel to my father. I want my father. The only time he'll come is the day he buries me. And Spurgeon did preach the gospel. And her father did get saved. You see, the love was working in that young girl. Anything to reach my father. Anything to reach my father. I don't know if I am getting older or I'm running with a different breed of cat with you folks. But I used to see a lot of Christians weep a lot more, it seemed, over the lostness of their family and loved ones than I ever see around most churches. I don't see tears. I don't see anguish about lostness. So before you get critical of Paul, before you throw up the theology that he will reveal reveal here, and you may like it or you may not, know that he is not some cold, calculating, frozen theologian that the lostness of people does not disturb him to the core. He is in anguish about it. I only wish I had more of such anguish. Because sometimes I'm so busy doing church work that to have a burden for lost people becomes a luxury. We have to ask ourselves, as I read in the latest Newsweek about the lost generation in church and how the 20 to 40-year-old category in most churches are going for being lost to postmodern world. They don't like the church. They get out. Uh, they're doing their own thing. They're going to Eastern religions. And it's been going on for decades. And we ask ourselves, is there enough of a burden in this church to give birth to souls? Is there enough burden around here for us to do the travail, as it were, of a woman giving birth to see loved ones saved? Or have we become nonchalant about it? That's what we pay our pastor to do. We pay preachers to have the burden. No, this is no one is exempt. No one is exempt. What would you give up to see your loved ones come to know Christ? You don't have to become a curse, thank God. But the willingness was actually witnessed. We have record one such man by the testimony and the witness of the Holy Spirit. He could step up in the court and say, Father, this is exactly how he feels inside. I am the witness. I know it to be true. And we might find ourselves growing in God's grace. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 
In closing out our time together today, we would leave you with our address, phone number, and our web address. We always enjoy it when folks reach out to us and let us know how the program is encouraging them in Christ. You can reach us at truthfortodayradio.org. Again, truthfortodayradio.org. Or call us, 855-833-9864. And you're always welcome to write to us. Letters mean a great deal. 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. By the way, if you have a question for Pastor Phil, from time to time, we do get him into studio to answer these questions. We'd love to hear from you. TFTQuestions at valleybible.org is the email address. In fact, if you're using your smartphone, the voice memo app, record your question, your name and where you're calling from, and then send that recording to TFTQuestions at valleybible.org. One other note as we close out our time together today, we are very mindful of the fact that due to the pandemic situations, we are learning more and more online and on the radio. But at the same time, those same ministries tend to be challenged financially because of the situation we find ourselves in. So would you please remember that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? We are dependent upon listeners just like you to continue the radio ministry, whether it's a large gift, a small gift, a one-time gift, a monthly gift. It all makes a big difference as we continue ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ here on this radio station. You can donate securely online at truthfortodayradio.org or by calling 855-833-9864. We do thank you for your involvement with this ministry and your partnership. It means the world to us. Whether it's financial or, more importantly, prayerfully, it does mean a great deal. Well, we are out of time. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 